This is The Squad Room, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the 21st season of SVU. If you have not watched episode 2116, Eternal Relief from Pain, we advise you to do so before listening. Hello and welcome back to The Squad Room, the official Law & Order SVU podcast. I am your host, Anthony Roman. This is episode 2116, Eternal Relief from Pain. And on the program, we are pleased to welcome Kelly Giddish and Lindsay Pulsifer. And they talk about the Rollins sisters and how they might finally be in a better place. After that, writer of Eternal Relief from Pain, Peter Blauner, sits down and tells us how he was able to work a story about the opioid crisis into the world of SVU. All this is happening right here on The Squad Room, which, as always, is brought to you by NBC and Wolf Entertainment. I am on the squad room with Kelly Giddish and Lindsay Pulsifer. Thank you for coming on today. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for having us. The Rollins sisters. Legendary. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, I was thinking the last time you were on, you told me that the uh, comment you made about your father in therapy didn't mean anything. It was just a comment to show your feelings about therapy. Mm-hmm. Were you lying to me or did you <laughs> or did you know? Did you not know? You know, I didn't know. I really okay. didn't. I hoped I would get to meet my father this year and and indeed we are getting to meet him. <laughs> but that wasn't in the books. That wasn't planned as a right. bit when I was talking to you. So no, I didn't lie. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so when the phone rings and it's law and order. And <laughs> what is that like? I'm always really thinking? excited. I'm always so happy to come back. I did my first episode like six or seven seasons ago. So it feels like I've kind of really grown up in my character, but also really not grown up. She's, you know, but I'm always very happy when I get a call to come back. I love working with Kelly and everybody. So it's great. What are you thinking for Amanda when you hear that Kim is on her way? Drama. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime I hear Lindsay's coming, it's like, okay, the script is going to be great and I get to actually play, you know, and we get to go into who my character is and see her not just in the procedural world, which is always fun for me personally as an actor, for any of us, I think. So, obviously, you've caused quite a bit of trouble, actually. How do you mean? Yeah. (laughs) What are you talking about? We literally, we were trying to think of everything she's done, and we were like, oh, my God, we forgot about that. Someone made a list. Oh, wonderful. We need a refresher. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's quite extensive. It really is. I mean, I should be in prison for life. I should have been sentenced to death, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, and I guess you're known as Hurricane Kim uh, on social Mm. media. Yeah. Yeah. But all that aside, what do you think about this relationship? relationship of the sisters and how forgiving you can be and how close you are. In terms of family, we all have family that somebody goes sideways and you're there to pick them back up. And yes, she moved away from Georgia, you know, Amanda Rollins, but she's far away from people that she has blood ties to. And no matter what, that still means something, you know, and as much as much drama and as many problems and her job's been on the line, you know, it doesn't matter what's on the line for her. You can't just turn your back, especially, I think, as a sister to sister. I think that's a special kind of relationship in this world. Yeah. Amanda is so forgiving of Kim, but it's true. You can't choose your family, you know, the old saying. And Kim, I think in her mind, she's doing her best and she really loves Amanda. And she feels like, you know, maybe because Amanda does forgive her so many times, she's okay. Like, I think in Kim's mind, she really is doing a good job, the best that she can do, you know. 
So talking specifically about this episode, the opioid epidemic, and what did you feel about when you got the script and you knew you were going to be commenting on that or kind of addressing that? I mean, it's a powerful thing that I think to show just one avenue of how someone ends up in this situation, I think is a productive thing. Yeah, it's very important, especially right now. It's extremely pertinent of, you know, what's happening right now in our society. And it's not one that necessarily gets talked about, you know, opioids, especially prescriptions that are seemingly legal. It's the same ingredient. Um, but it's written by a doctor, so it's not looked at as closely as it should. So I was really happy that the amazing writers incorporated this into the story. Peter Blauner, who wrote this episode, and he wrote a recent episode with Talker Suicide, I think he's been really amazing at incorporating the regular SVU sexual assault story and then these other elements Mm -hmm. and weaving them together because everything connects. You know, It does, absolutely. and, And it's really, I think it's been pretty amazing. I love this episode. Yeah, I thought he did a great job of incorporating both worlds, the pharmaceutical world and the addiction. It was beautiful. I love this script. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) such such an amazing job. I can't. It can't be easy either. You know, because you got these multiple storylines going. And the opening scene, you did the bit with the sink. Did you ever hear of that before? No. In fact, Peter and I had a conversation about it, and he said that oftentimes addicts will go back to, so if they OD, they will go back to the place that they OD'd and were saved the first time, knowing that there was somebody there. Like, oftentimes they'll go to where they know an ambulance is going to be or Mm. close to a fire department or somewhere where they know that they can get resuscitated if need be. And I was fascinated by that. That was something that I had never heard and was blown away by and just so saddened by it. Like, my heart really really hurt to hear that, that that's the mentality that goes into, you know. Like putting their head down and still going for it. But if I'm going to do it, just all the thinking that goes into it. It's such a heavy scene because, you know, you're doing that, you're leaving your kid with a tourist and and then your reaction is like, that's your idea of a plan? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But kind of like back up saying that approach isn't going to help, right? Yeah, playing that beat was hard in that scene, actually. Mm -hmm. That beat comes at the beginning of the scene And you can't blow your wad at the beginning of the scene. Like, I was so, like, that's the crux of, are you kidding me? Right. You know, like, but no, she's not. She did it. She did it. Now her kid is taken away and I'm picking up the pieces. So, no, she's not kidding me. She actually turned on the faucet and that that was her great plan. And I was so proud of myself. Yeah, that's right. I was like, I was so pleased. Very pleased. Yeah, you took care of things. You should be happy that I did that. Yeah. So what do you do when you feel like it's the opening of a scene and you can't give it as much as you want because it's the beginning? Well, I mean, I was just doing that in terms of structure, you know, like the scene needed a place to go. But in terms of, you know, we haven't done anything that leads up to this crux, you know, scene, you just feel it. You just feel it out. And that's the luxury of having someone like Lindsay come in. We've got a shorthand with each other. We don't really have to talk about what's going on in the scene. We just, we feel each other. Like if something needs to be more powerful or more sacred or more um, focused, I think we both kind of go towards that in a quiet agreement, you know. It's it's a great thing when two actors can just kind of get together and be like, we don't have to talk a lot about the scene. It just kind of goes where it needs to go. Yeah, Yeah. you're really believable as Yes, she is. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then Benson is really understanding, and she's always understanding. I know. <laughs> she's thinking about what happened to Simon. That's right? exactly right. Yeah, and she's sympathetic mm-hmm. because she doesn't want Amanda to go through what she went right, through. Kind right. of like that's not the right approach for someone right. like you. Right. And are you feeling that from? 
Both I, of them? I am. That moment, I just want to touch back on where she had compassion for me and said that's not going to help. You know, yeah. me yelling at you is not going to help. That really touched me both as an actor and as a character. I hadn't really... That was kind of one of the first times where I was like, oh, she's hearing me. Like, it just felt very... Yeah. I felt so loved in that moment and, kind of, you know, appreciative. But then with Olivia, it's... Yeah, we had this great scene where I'm telling her about what actually happened to me and... She's listening. And I, I just feel like Kim might not have a lot of people in her life that listen. And so it just, I'm feeling a lot of, not not a lot of support, but definitely feel like it's being heard, which feels right. really good. I mean, and you do arrive at a better place, I think, than usual mm-hmm. yeah. at the end of this one. Yes, right? I, was, I was so happy to read that because to me, that's a huge step towards getting clean and actually wanting to get clean. Like that's a mind shift, you yeah. know, that's a perspective shift. Your scene in Rikers at the end of the last time we saw you, I didn't know actually what you were doing. Oh, right? I know. I, I mean, the second to last time. <laughs> yeah, then you yeah, come yeah. back and we've determined that you're bipolar, but still, you know, we don't know how it's going to go, right? right? But this time, I think this is one of the more believable, like, I believe you're going to be okay. Yeah. Is that how you're, yeah. what you're thinking? Yeah. But two episodes ago, when you end in Rikers and you're talking about Lorenzo and stuff, like, oh, it's just brutal. I felt like, how is she ever going to recover from this? Right. You know? Right. But you guys did come together since then. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Amanda opened her door one more time. (laughs) Yeah. She always does. (laughs) So after a bit of like kind of wheeling and dealing, you go undercover, which you're doing for her. You have a very unusual scene, I think, in that. Would you have done that for the job or that was just for a sister? Oh, that's a good question. That scene is full of the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. <laughs> it was I know. so it grossed me. Out. It was so, so yucky. It's so yeah, gross. while we were filming that scene where Amanda goes undercover into the this doctor's office that, that's been extorting Kim for sex, you know, for her drugs, one crew member goes, "This happens." Mm. Like he just kind of goes, "You know, this really happens." Yeah, people will go to any lengths, and I'm just like, "Oh Oof. my gosh." So was, maybe maybe this was a, <laughs> a special one for only Kim. Only for my yeah. sister. Yeah. 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 And then after that, your father appears out of nowhere. Obviously, you're happier to see him mm-hmm. than you yeah. are. And just talk about that, like your relationship with him. And his third marriage is coming, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think his relationship, you see its function as of now, is just show the bond between Kim and Amanda. Show them overcoming something, something they're approaching from two different sides, obviously. But I look forward to maybe having that relationship evolve between my character and and her father. Um, But it was a lot of fun, man. James came to set ready to play. We got Franny on the set, so um, we had a great day that day. Franny yeah. appears in a lot of your episodes. Yeah, she does. I know. And I'm always so happy because Franny is the Everybody best dog loves ever. Franny. <laughs> she is. I love her. Is Franny here today? No, she's not here today. No. Okay. Yeah. I was curious, what does Franny think of Eliza's turtle? Eliza Gill, of course, is our incredible PA. Have they interacted at all? I think I think they stay away from each okay. other. Yeah. Because I thought that might be a bad have you met the yes. turtle? And I think the, the turtle is a very strong <laughs> alpha. Male um, <laughs> in a very small package. <laughs> um, you can tell he's wise. I think he's like 30 years old. He's yeah. old, yeah. yeah. I think Warren met the turtle at the premiere and wasn't thrilled about it, according to Elijah. <laughs> he thinks he he call he still calls Franny the beast. I'm like, she's not beast. No, far from a beast. No, no she's so well behaved. So she we, really is. So 
this whole thing progresses. You have this traumatic scene with your father, and then he doesn't really own up to what he did, and he takes off, right? And bringing you closer together, your thing resolves at the end. You agree to go to jail because you feel like that's the only way you could get clean. Yeah. Does that seem like a logical step for someone in your position to take? It seems absolutely crazy, but... At the same time, I feel like Kim, she does what she wants. And there's a mirror that's held up in front of her face when she sees her dad. And that, you mm. know, he's completely oblivious to the fact that he was just saved. Yeah. And we've been sitting in the, you know, waiting room, waiting for him to wake up, hoping that he's not going to die. And the fact that he's so blasé about it. I think that really gives Kim pause. And she realizes, I don't want to end up like that. I have to do this, you know, in order to save myself. And it seems like a really far-fetched or, you know, maybe self-punishing way to do it. But I think that maybe that's the only way Kim thinks that she can get It's like a clean. mature choice for yeah, Kim. Yeah, it is a mature choice for Kim. What do you think of that choice? Like I said, it's mature. It's yeah. like a really, you know, thank God she has family. And her son Mason has a grandmother that's willing to take him. Come and, to Rockland County? Yeah, yeah. Is that going to happen? think so. Are we going to see our old friend? I hope so. They don't. They haven't said. No one said. So. No one. You, you look, you're looking at me like I have. Like <laughs> no, I, have a I know secret. you don't. I, I, know I you never don't, know. I went to a basketball game with Warren recently, and I was like, "How much do they know?" And he's like, "Not as much as you think." On the yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh. <laughs> I feel like you're holding something. Yeah. So. So your mother's going to come back, take care of the kids. It's more of a, I guess, happy ending in a way. The kid, you have two of your own. Was that discussed with Peter and Warren when you're like coming back? Like maybe this is going to be a little bit easier or things might leave you in a better place. And Well, they didn't necessarily, I guess, when Warren and I talked, he said, you know, she's still, she's still up to her old ways, but there's hope for her. She's right. a little bit more hopeful, which I think is really good because somebody that is addicted, they're doing the best they can. And I feel like I don't want it to just seem like addiction is one-sided, if that makes sense. Like, I really hope that Kim does get better and I hope that she can make a recovery. And so I liked that there was hope for her. Yeah. And we need to see people getting better, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. We, got, it's, we covered it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about John. You've worked with him so many times. This is your first time working with him? I think this him? is my first time working with him, yeah. He does a lot of SVUs this season, right? And overall, he's... John? Yeah. Yes. As a director, what does he bring that is different? Um, spontaneity and immediacy, especially with the camera work. He loves to take over the camera and really get inside of a scene. And you feel like if you come up with something new or you find an idea, you make him proud. Right. You know, okay. like it's it's that kind of thing. Like yeah. he injects, even though he's been here the longest, I think he did the very first he episode the first one, of yeah. SVU. Yes. Um, I just love him. He's my favorite. He is yeah. my absolute favorite. He's doing so many that he must be several people's favorites. He, he is. is. He is. Yeah. And he, the speed he's moving at, I can't even book a time with you yeah. both because they're like, we don't know. He's going so fast that yeah. it might not happen. Yeah. And so you, your experience was, was Oh my God. Great. I've, yeah. I've loved working with him. He's kind of like a giant kid. Like he gets, he's really excited. He really yeah. loves his craft and he loves getting in there with us and like getting dirty and like he's, he's amazing. And I love it when people aren't afraid to say, I don't know. Yes. And he's one of those people. Yes. He's like, well, I don't know. Yeah. So what, what should we, how should we do this. Totally. And we're all like looking at him like you're the director and of course he has an answer but we all he makes it seem like we come up with it on the spot and yeah. it's the best vein of collaboration that yeah. you can kind of ride and yeah. swim in. 
I tell you one thing he's not excited to do is come on this podcast yeah. because he's <laughs> I can't get I can't like get him on something yeah. he would want to do can't make it happen <laughs> so you know in the show I don't know if you watch Fleabag or Succession oh, those two both, shows two of my favorite shows Me of this too. oh okay. my god both of them have like these crazy dinner scenes right yes. family dinner scenes yes. and I was thinking about what do you think the Rollins family dinner scene would be like. Oh my god. <laughs> Ugh. Well, we got a glimpse into what the Rollins sisters all together would look like with the three kids and the dog yes. and the dad. And Yes. It was in real life. We were all like, wow. <laughs> Chaos. Okay. So are we done? Are yeah. we, this is good. We And like every time we completed a take, we were like, give me a hug. Give me a hug. Way to go. Like we actually got through that. God, what do you think they would be oh like? Oh, my God. I mean, I feel like it would be chaos. I feel like there'd be a lot of talking, a lot of, you know, booze drinking. I mm-hmm. feel like the dynamics would shift, and I feel like poor Amanda would just be like, get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> like, get me out of here. I think it's an episode, though. Yeah. I think it is, too. Yeah. Wouldn't that be funny? Well, what, if, what, if, um, what if she came back? What if Kim came back as, like, a Tony Robbins, like— um, Oh my God! Like, she's totally reformed. Yeah, <laughs> like, she's like, I can help Amanda, you. Have you heard about this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be hilarious, right? She's you know a multimillionaire. Let's and, go talk to Warren. Yeah. Um, so, anything you want to say about this episode? Eternal relief from pain. Anything? Just kind of now that you've wrapped it up. And maybe the future of you two on the show. Well, I always have such an amazing time coming and working with Kelly. And especially this episode, I felt like we we definitely shared some moments that were, you know, very personal and mm-hmm. didn't have to say a word. Um, like Kelly said, the energy was exchanged and it was kind of a shorthand. And I'm just so grateful to you. Yeah, Kelly is such an amazing, generous actor. Um, and I'm just, I love working with you. So... Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And where could we find you otherwise besides SVU? Um, I kind of am bouncing around TV. Um, I'm going into pilot season right now, which is so yeah. much fun. Oh, like, oh, I don't believe I you. I was like, I haven't been there in a while. <laughs> Did you do a lot of that before this, though? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it as brutal as everybody says? Yes. Oh, yes. Because your hopes just go so up. Well, no, it's mostly just busy. You're like, you know, since I've been here, I've put myself on tape for like five things. Oh. (laughs) I remember going going from audition to audition. It'd be snowing here. Oh, And you'd have hair, you know, like the best thing you can do with your own hair and makeup. And you get to the casting office and you have to take off like five layers. Yeah. And your hair is all like this. Your (laughs) mascara is on on the wrong part of your face. And and I would just get in the, the casting room going, these LA girls are just hopping out of their Volvos, <laughs> their air-conditioned yeah. cars, like right onto the lot, you know, right, like just right. bouncing into the cast. Yeah. I was like, this, is what, and this is what I'm up against. <laughs> the hard part is not even what getting it and then seeing if it's going to get picked up. It's just getting it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And just okay. getting through the process. <laughs> well, I wish you luck in pilot season. Yeah, me too. Thank and, you. And uh, this is a great episode. And thank you to the Rollins sisters for coming on. Thanks. Yeah. It's been lovely. Oh God, thanks and good for to see Kelly. Me. And nice to meet you, Lindsay. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Thanks. Writer Peter Blauner has been researching the opioid crisis for many years now. And he told us how he used this research for an episode about Kim and Amanda Rollins. I'm here on the squad room with Peter Blauner, the writer of Eternal Relief from Pain. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me back, Anthony. This is third time. Yeah. (laughs) So just starting off in the teaser, we have Rollins running. She's in pain. 
we have a scene with Liv and Noah with the vaping. Right. And then, of course, we go to Kim. Um, what's happening there? Well, there's a common theme of reckoning with pain and reckoning with how we deal with pain. And that is the theme of the whole episode. It happens to land very firmly on this issue of addiction. But I had to have a way to land it in our world specifically. But you could have theoretically just started with Kim, right? But you wanted to kind of like layer it with our characters? I think the audience comes in with a lot of attitude towards Kim because we've seen her a lot in episodes. And a certain amount of resistance may have been built up, which hopefully we get past during the course of this episode. But but I think we needed to see Liv and we needed to see Amanda first and understand through Amanda's eyes why we should care about Kim. Right. Then you go into the scene with Kim in the pizzeria, which I thought was incredible, reading it and then seeing it. And I talked to Lindsay about it. And just setting that up a little bit, the things she does with the sink and how you knew about that. Right, right. Um, I've actually spent a few years researching the opioid epidemic, and I've done a lot of firsthand research in Massachusetts and Vermont and Maine. And one of the things I heard about was when people are going to get high and they know they're doing something really dangerous, they'll often do it in a public bathroom or in the parking lot of a hospital emergency room because they know there's a very good chance that they will overdose and be technically dead. The whole thing with filling the sink and flooding the bathroom so that the water comes out under the door is a literal cry for help so that people will come in and save them. And I I heard quite a few stories about people dying, being revived by Narcan, and then coming back to that same spot 24 hours later and buying drugs at the same place. Again, that's how powerful the addiction is, and that's how much it changes the chemistry of the brain. But filling the sink with napkins and making the water overflow, that's a real thing, or did you come up with that? No, that's a real thing. Okay. It's a, a, people go into the Target bathroom or the CVS bathroom or Home Depot. I've heard and, and spoken to addicts about terrible stories. Um, a DEA agent that I know told me there's a middle school in New Hampshire that keeps Narcan on hand during parent pickup. And I said, that's terrible. Are you, are you saying that students in middle school are already taking opioids? He said, no, this is for the parents. Oh, God. This is, and sometimes of the staff of the school. That's how lethal this epidemic is. Uh, and, and, and I wanted to present an image that would really dramatize that issue. Lethal and everywhere. Right? Yes. It's not a junkie with a needle in a corner that we don't really see. I suspect... Uh, quite a few people listening to this podcast know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody who is struggling with this issue and is struggling with this issue within their family. And I can only feel sympathy for the damage uh, that comes out of that. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to tell this story. And coming back to the episode prior, which we spoke about, is it coincidence or are you driven to bring in things that exist slightly out of the SVU regular world that are happening right now, epidemics that are happening and try and get them in our episodes? Well, one of the great things about this franchise and about this show is that you are to some extent reflecting reality. And given the talent of the director's and the producers and the other people involved in the show, I'd like to believe that there's room within the 22 to 24 episodes that we do every year 
to pull other things into our worlds as well. Uh, obviously, I take sexual abuse and sexual assault very, very seriously. But often those things don't just happen in a vacuum. Right. They have Everything's cascading connected. effects and consequences and going the other way around. And in the case of the opioid addiction story, there were real-life stories about doctors forcing addicted patients to have sex with them in order to keep up the prescription. Are you trying to possibly present Kim, as you alluded to earlier, she's a mother now. Yeah. So she's somewhat different. The last time we left her, she admitted to Amanda that she was bipolar. We maybe got a sense that things were going to go better for her. Yeah. It turns out they did for a while. Are you trying to present her in a different light this time? I'm very sympathetic to any character who's really engaged in the life struggle. And we've seen Kim do a lot of extreme stuff. And... It's made her a character that's easy to hate. But if she's going to keep coming back, we've got to feel three dimensions right. about her. And I've known some people who I really thought were rotten. But most people I know are a mixture of good and bad. Yeah. Uh, Solzhenitsyn said the line between good and evil runs down the line of every human being. And I see that in Kim as well. So I'm trying to shine some lights into the corners of her personality as well. Is the decision to bring back Kim yours or Warren's? Or Obviously, we work together. Yeah. Um, my feeling was if we're going to bring in an issue like suicide or opioid addiction, we have to personalize it in some way. And Kim is a character that we've gotten to know. Whether Rollins is comfortable having her in her life or not, you can't escape the fact that this is a member of your family. So that was the reason why we decided to bring her back into this world. So it's possible that the issue comes first and then you want to find a kind of reoccurring character so you're not just putting the issue on someone the audience has no uh, so It's not with. just an abstract issue. Ultimately, right. on this show, things have to land emotionally. Yeah. And the way to do it, I thought, was through a family member. You are right. That's very interesting. I think Finn, he seems very skeptical of everybody, right? He's not thrilled about the, watch the vaping, watch Kim. Watch your father. He's just presenting that side. Well, he's a hardened street cop. He also cares about Rollins. He's sized Kim up as a drug addict. And if you're an experienced police officer, you know what that's about. Especially someone of his generation, my generation, who would have been in New York during the crack epidemic and would have seen what the response was to that. And so you want to be fair yeah. uh, about that as well. One of the things I talked to Kelly about was her reaction to Kim's plan. You know, Kim's like, I did stop this thing so that people would know I was in it. She's like, that's your idea of a plan. And she gets upset. But then she kind of yeah. has to come down because she knows that's not going to work. And what were you trying to achieve in that scene? I think striking that balance between toughness and compassion and realizing this is a member of my family and it's about more than my frustration with her. There's now a child involved and I can't just write her off. At this point, I'm hooked in because I now have a nephew. And if I'm going to be a full human being, I have to recognize that as well. Yeah. And then Kim comes up with this idea of how she could make a deal. And that leads you to the doctor. And um, Kelly was saying that whenever she comes on, she's very kind of 
things don't really rattle her. I say, you know, the subject matter is dark, but she can deal with it. And she said that that scene gave her the heebie-jeebies, her scene with Capizio. I don't know if I should take that as a compliment. <laughs> I think you should. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's uh, an unusual it's story. Unusual, yeah. It's an unusual story structure for us, but it's closer to the way a lot of criminal investigations actually work. Outside SVU world, if it's an organized crime investigation— or a uh, drug business investigation, you find a low-level person, you arrest them, you make them cooperate or flip in the parlance, and then you work your way up the ladder. That usually doesn't happen in SVU world. It's usually one person did something terrible, and we try and get that person. In this case, it's more like the movie Traffic in some ways, that there's a larger organization and Capizio is the first rung on that yeah. ladder. Then he has that scene which made Kelly uncomfortable. He flips. Yeah. And then, you know, you just start working your way up. And Kat goes undercover with Tiffany, who's right. ultimately working for Harrington. Right. And then we flip Tiffany. Again, it's, it's, yeah. it's almost like a mafia or a political corruption investigation or something right. like that. But what I thought was interesting, too, is that everybody goes undercover this episode, with the exception of Finn, right? We have Rollins, we have Benson, we have Kat, even have Hadid. Right. Was that intentional or? Well, again, following the protocol of this kind of investigation, it's not simply a matter of throwing somebody against the wall and saying, you're going to tell me what you did, dirtbag. I mean, those scenes are exciting and satisfying for the audience. Yeah. But to me, there's something really interesting in our character's being able to play roles within the role, right. being able to understand the world that they're operating within and the motivations of the characters who they're dealing with and being outside the interrogation room and in that larger world, for me, is a great way to do that. Yeah, it's very exciting and it felt very different. And Benson, we have to say she's extremely sympathetic to Rollins because of what she just went through with yes, Simon. Yes, with, with Simon losing uh, Simon uh, to drug addiction. that The cards just seemed to fall into place story-wise in terms of where we were going in the season. Uh, the opioid episode was on the boards before Simon was scheduled to die, uh, right. frankly. And then once we heard Simon was going to die then that began to inform the way we wrote the opioid episode and the way Benson would respond to that. And Lindsay was saying that she felt like, for once, somebody was maybe listening to Kim in her scene with Benson. Yes, yes, but she starts off with a kind of toughness with Kim. And I thought Mariska did a really, really good job in balancing that cop-like skepticism with empathy, underneath that because of what had happened with her and Simon. Is it hard to arrive at that with the actor for those layers to both exist in the scene? I think it's exciting to arrive at that for the actor. I hope it is. For me as a writer, when you're excavating emotions, when you're penetrating to what the emotional core of the scene has to be, and when you get there, that's really satisfying. And do those scenes with the layers take longer with John? I know he moves super fast, right? He does, so, he does move super fast. In particular, Mariska wants to do the best version possible, and it's one of the things I really, really respect about her. And we've worked together enough, and we have enough of an emotional shorthand that I can pretty much just give her a tilt of the head, and she knows what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, and she's, to her credit, and this is not true of all actors, she's like, let me go there. 
Right. Yeah. Right. Like we were talking about punk rock before. <laughs> She's willing to throw herself off the stage and get in the <laughs> mosh pit of emotions. And it's something I really admire about her. Along the way, we have Jim Rollins arrives, which is a whole other set of problems. And you end act two with Amanda agreeing to let Jim's come up and stay. And you end act three with his overdose. Um, I notice you do things in bunches too with the suicides and then with the overdoses here. Is that because you're trying to really let people see what the epidemic is? Like, is well, that it's also true of, uh, It's also true of my life experiences <clears throat> that when you begin to notice certain issues, then it pops up everywhere. Like yeah. just walking around New York City, you start to think about, oh, mental illness on the streets is an issue. And then you get on the subway and you see street crazes right, 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 uh, right. everywhere. Um Addiction does tend to come in bunches. Uh, suicide, the reason why we did the suicide episode is that there was this cluster of suicide. So it's just reflecting a certain reality. You're not as trying I see it to here. hit it over the be, head too hard. Yeah, uh, you're yeah, not yeah, trying, yeah. like you're trying to actually. Well, it's a 40-minute episode, so yeah. things do tend to feel a little compressed in that way. However, if Kim is dealing with addiction issues, in a lot of cases they came from somewhere, and Amanda does say very explicitly early in the episode, there's family history. So I am sort of trying to draw the line between the father and the daughter. It's not always right. like that, but sometimes it is. That was my next question. Yeah. Are you commenting on the hereditary nature of addiction? Yeah, not everybody who takes OxyContin automatically becomes addicted. And right. there's a whole issue about percentage of people who do become addicted. But certain people are definitely susceptible to it. And it would not be shocking that a father and a daughter would both be susceptible no, uh, in that way. And I'm trying to, maybe uh, Warren, Julie, and myself are trying to illuminate that issue within a family and talk about how that can have consequences. It's kind of a silly question, but how did you get Franny to respond so well in that scene? That's Kelly and Franny. <laughs> Franny killed it. Uh, oh, Franny is great. Her, her reactions, <laughs> and I don't mind revealing this, uh, Jean did a couple of takes there, and Franny hit her marks every time she pretty much barked at the same point in the scene. Every time I've had specifically terrible experiences with dogs, we've had to have uh, substitute dogs come in because they couldn't bark on time. And that was, uh, Franny was 100% reliable. So good. So, And then Hadid's relationship with Josh Hamilton's character, I thought was interesting. And she's always been a mystery. But Carisi has a great line where he said, I'd rather do a Rubik's Cube blindfolded than try and figure her out. But ultimately, she really comes through. Yeah, but you don't know that she's no, going to do that, no. which is great as far no. as I'm concerned. I, she was letting me down. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, you're going to. Yeah. Well, that's. I hope that's compelling storytelling. It is. Uh, for me, some of the best actresses around are the people who don't need to be liked every single yeah. moment that they're on screen, who are a little cloaked and mysterious, so you really have to keep your eye on them to really know where they're going to land. Yeah. I'm curious about the thought process of her character and like what you and Warren are talking about. Like you're aware that people maybe don't trust her. So yes. you, so you can know you could push that a bit yes. into yes. for your story. It gives you a certain amount of leeway. It gives our other characters doubts about her. And that gives a certain emotional arc. If you think somebody can't be trusted, if you think somebody's kind of corrupt, and then at the last minute they step onto the stage and reveal themselves to be a better person. Well, that's a great moment to it, try yeah, and catch it really her. is. I mean, because she even has Kat, Benson, and Greasy tricked. Yes. Or, uh, that fooled at that moment. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I was really pleased by the moment at the end of Act 4 
where she just waltzes into the party and Mariska has that look on her yeah, face like, oh no, what's this about? And the audience is left at the act break wondering, oh my God, what's going to happen? Well, that ought to get you coming back from the refrigerator. Definitely. And it's just a question about POV. When she's talking to Josh Hamilton. Is Who's it, very good in the episode as well. He's a good actor. He's a good actor and I, I wish I would see him more, yeah. you know, because I've always liked him. Is the POV okay because it's not one of our main characters? Or I'm a little confused with the rules. Well, that confusion is good as far as I'm concerned <laughs> right. because part of the tension of the scene is Hadid, one of our characters. Right. Is right. she one of the good exactly. guys? So if you're a little tense watching that scene, thinking like, do I trust her? Is she still part of the family or has, has she gone to the dark side? Well, <laughs> right, right. I, I don't think you're going to be changing your channel while that's going on. That's right. At this point, are we trusting Hadid fully? Has she I taken a not. turn? I hope she's a little bit on probation. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all right to have a be little yeah, better feeling. Yeah, about, yeah, yeah. Right? I think yeah. so. Well, listen, she's sacrificing a lot. Trey, as played by Josh Hamilton, warns her that there's going to be a price to pay for the stand that she's taking yeah. here. If she had higher political ambitions, it, she's going to take a hit as far as contributions go, and that's, sure, that's a, sure. a real thing. And she's had to take herself out of the case because she's become a witness. And she's made some powerful enemies by taking a moral stand. That makes her a bigger character to me. Right, right. Basically, at the end, after everything's kind of resolved with the case, where do you think the Rollins family is... Are we going to see Virginia Madsen? Are we going to, like, do you have a sense of where it's going? Well, that's really uh, Warren's decision as to how deeply we go. What I was really pleased about was that we had a chance to really fill out Amanda's family tree yeah. in this episode. We've talked about her father a fair amount on the show. Kelly has done, I think, 200 episodes of the yes. show. And so she is very much part of the Constellation system of the SVU world. Uh, we've met her mother. And I think we've come to understand that her father has played an important role in shaping the person she has become. So to be able to see him in this episode and to see what that relationship is like, I thought was very important. And as far as Kim's decision to go to jail and she thinks that's the best way to deal with her addiction stuff, do you agree with that? I think there's all kinds of ways to deal with addiction. In the course of my research, I met specialists who found Suboxone to be very effective in dealing with addiction. But there are all kinds of other drugs that have proven to be effective for some people. I don't think prison is the answer for, <laughs> for most people uh, at all. But I think we've established that Kim is an extreme personality. Right, right. So I guess in closing, we get a sense that she ends this episode better than usual. Yes. Is that fair to yes. say? Yes. Well, I, and she may end this episode better than usual, but I think we also have a fuller sense of who she is and her potential to become someone better than she's been. Right. And she's going to prison at the end, but maybe we're leaving the door open a crack that not that she's going to become a wonderful human being, but that she can become someone better. One thing I talked to Kelly and Lindsay about is, is it important to the writers to occasionally see someone get better? It's important to feel that somebody has the potential to get better. I've seen dramatic things happen 
in my life with people that I know. I've seen people that I would have written off who were literally living on the street because of drug addiction. A very good friend of mine lived in a subway platform at Grand Central Station for nine years and was able to pull himself together and have a very successful life as a writer. So I try not to give up on anybody. And if we can get that across, that, <laughs> that's a story I want to tell. I think it happened. Well, Peter Blauner, thank you so much for coming on the Squad Room again. Another great episode. Thank you. That's a wrap for the Squad Room. We'll be back in three weeks with Peter Scanavino. You're going to want to check that out. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a thing over the break. As always, we want to hear from you. We love hearing from you. So follow us on Instagram at NBCSVU and at Wolf Entertainment and on Twitter at NBCSVU and at Wolf Ent. The Squad Room is hosted and produced by me, Anthony Roman. It is executive produced by Elliot Wolf and Warren Light. This episode was recorded by Jessica Damari. Post-production was handled by James Asciutto. Additional research by Matt Klipka. And we'd like to extend a big thank you to Victoria Pollock. The Squad Room is brought to you by NBC and Wolf Entertainment. We're back in three weeks. <laughs>